Hey, what's going on, Sports Rehab Experts? We're back at it with another episode of the Sports Rehab Expert Success Show. If you are watching this from YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher, be sure that you uh, make sure you check out our Facebook group. The Facebook group is the Sports Rehab Expert Mentorship. That's where all these questions are coming from. That's where all these conversations are coming from. So if you're, if you're curious to learn more, jump on the interaction or to ask questions yourself, make sure you're over in that Facebook group. That's a free Facebook group that you can join. Again, that's the Sports Rehab Expert Mentorship and look forward to interacting with you more there and more future questions to come. This discussion that we're going to be talking about here now has to do with the Achilles tendon repair. Uh, we talked a little bit recently about what is most people seeing in the clinic, whether that's a uh, tendinopathy situation, whether that's a conservative care after a rupture, meaning no surgery, or if it's a surgery after Achilles tendon rupture. Uh, recently in the clinic, I've been dealing with uh, a couple individuals, uh, three of them actually, which is kind of odd. You don't usually see these uh, in, uh, injuries all that much, the ruptures. I mean, you see a few of them every once in a while. Um, usually it's like one or two a year, but it's really odd to kind of get this many of them back to back. Uh, most of the cases now are around three months out, uh, a little bit more than that. Um, so I uh, just thought I'd bring it up to the group, what everybody was experiencing. With the overwhelming majority tended to be um, tendinopathy situations, but again, everybody expressed interest in some of the uh, rupture rehab, whether that's conservative care or uh, whether that's through surgery. Um, I will say I was pretty surprised. So all these that I have currently are general population, but they're still fairly active individuals. Um, it, but all of them opted for the non-surgical approach. Um, and it, it seems that it was it's becoming almost pushed upon uh, by surgeons to kind of go this route, or at least it, it seems like they're saying that this is kind of a, a normal route that you can obtain a similar outcome, if not the same outcome, without actually having to go through surgery, um, which is interesting. That, that whole idea I had not actually considered. I just figured, you know, if you rupture your Achilles, uh, es especially if you're an athlete, like you're going to want to have the surgery. Now, uh, higher, higher level athletics, we probably could still be arguing that the, you know, we, we need to repair the tendon to, to try to regain that high level of performance. Um, but again, these individuals who have not gone through a repair have started back jogging here now. Um, so it, 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 it's interesting for me to kind of see this and, and view this. So uh, again, I would not have kind of considered this before dealing with these few individuals. But now, I mean, the outcomes seem to be progressing fairly well for them. Uh, and, and looking at some of the research, there actually is a, a fair amount of research out on there of the conservative approach or non-surgical approach to getting back to full function. Um, so it's interesting and it's definitely something that could be looked at a little bit more. Um, but the bigger thing that we're looking for, just like any um, anyone dealing with any type of injury, obviously, is some type of objective measures to be looking at. What are the big bang for your buck objective measures that are going to make sense? And we could probably actually argue that this also makes sense for a lot of tendinopathy situations as, as well, too. The objective measure that uh, I suggested to the group was looking at single leg heel raise. And when does the individual, when do you feel the individual should be capable of achieving a single leg heel raise? Um, 
working with multiple people who have had a rupture, there's a, there's a very apprehensive stage that they will go through where uh, everything that you've done bilaterally with this individual as far as strengthening goes, you would, um, you, you would gain to gather that they should be able to do a single leg heel raise. Uh, but there's also like this whole mindset shift that they have to kind of overcome, this fear that they have to overcome to be able to rely solely on that tendon again. And it, uh, for the Achilles tendon, that's a big step for a lot of people. So uh, after going through a few of them, I, could, I was starting to think, you know, what, what's a better way of kind of smoothing out this process? And, and I've started to work on this with a few individuals. Also have kind of transitioned this over a little bit into some of the tendinopathy situations I've seen as well too. So if we're looking at um, whether it's surgery or a non-surgical approach, there's going to be a period of time frame that uh, an individual has going to want to be kept in plantar flexion. So a lot of times they'll be put in a boot with a couple heel lifts um, and a, around 30 degrees of plantar flexion. And it's a very slow kind of gradual taking them back down to the ground. Um, I think where we go wrong when we look at a lot of the standard protocols is that they aren't allowed to really do much of anything when they're in the boot. Uh, and then it's just a matter of letting time take place and letting the heel kind of gradually slow down, drop down to the ground where there's no lift. And then we start allowing them to get out of the boot and doing a little bit of resistance-based exercises. Um, I, I think we can get a little bit more aggressive than this, uh, and it's something that I've done with each of these clients that uh, I've been dealing with, is, is letting them do isometric contractions uh, into a belt at a certain degree of platter inflection, or um, giving them a good indicator of what amount of dorsiflexion, their, or lack of dorsiflexion is a better way of putting it, um, they're able to go through. and pressing into a band concentrically uh, and trying to hold that concentric activity for a particular tempo. Um, so, because we really don't want to emphasize the stretch. What they've shown in a lot of research articles is the single leg heel raise is actually a really good measure of this too, is someone who can't get a very high single leg heel raise has a significant less function or overall capabilities post repair or uh, post injury. So. That's something that we got to be shooting for, and I, that's a mistake that I think a lot of clinicians make is stretching the Achilles way too soon um, without doing any type of strengthening, especially at that peak position of plantar flexion. So um, again, plantar flexion is not necessarily the issue. The issue that and why we're not why we're avoiding a lot of exercises, we're trying to avoid a stretch for a certain time period so that we don't. Uh, disrupt the length tendon uh, length tension relationship of the Achilles tendon. So we can certainly work isometrics at that plantar flexion 30 degrees past 30 degrees of plantar flexion certainly work active range of motion past that we can certainly work light concentric activity past that within a, a reasonable time frame post-surgery and uh, without surgery as well too uh, and then that that's a nice way to kind of just start gradually getting people to, to go through uh, resistance activity and then we take them uh, through more and more full range of motion so long as the protocol allows for that as far as how much dorsiflexion the surgeon wants to them. We're never passing that uh, relative degree of dorsiflexion that the surgeon wants. We're just trying to concentrically or isometrically strengthen the, uh, the plantar flexors, the Achilles, in that end range, that peak range. So we can start it right from the initial get-go. Uh, and then once they 
do get to the ground or once they are capable of getting out of the boot because there's a time period where they can get out of a boot um, but they still don't want them to go flat to the ground so if you just use a wedge and elevate them up into that plantar flex position again we can be working bilateral heel raises in a plantar flex position already um, without actually going down into a stretch so again it's a way to start some of the the bilateral heel raises a little bit sooner um, which just gets a little bit more total volume uh, allows for more strength to occur uh, during this time frame where there's a lot of atrophy that's going through now obviously if you have B BFR available to you uh, that that's a consideration as well too to kind of keep as much strength as you can um, doing quad, hamstring, uh, different tasks of that nature too. Even being able to balance in their boot, whether that's in a certain degree of plantar flexion, that's going to work the plantar flexion, the, the plantar flexors as well too, uh, in, in all the muscles of the ankle and the foot actually to, to be able to get that because that's another milestone that people struggle with a little bit too is being able to balance on one leg. So we can certainly start that in a boot. Um, Going back to the whole concept of building strength, getting to the single leg heel raise though, um, what we can also do is, is do uh, assisted heel raises where they use their hands to kind of help push them up into plantar flexion to make sure they get into that peak range of motion of plantar flexion too. A lot of times if there's some weakness, they may not go through a full range of motion into plantar flexion when doing a heel raise. If we allow them to use their hands on a countertop or give some weight to offload them, they may get up a couple, uh, you know, half inch, maybe an inch more, and uh, go through that full range of motion right from the start as opposed to trying to develop strength and then go through the full range of motion uh, where that just doesn't necessarily seem to work out because there's probably some type of end range strengthening neurological component that's going on there that allows you to actually ac access that. So if we strengthen through their full range of motion that they're capable of doing, which plantar flexion is never the issue, it's always um, the, the restriction that is always there is how much dorsiflexin you allow the, the, the foot to come back into. So we can always be working this peak plantar flexion um, strength component to it uh, just within reason as far as the where they're at and the stages of the protocol as far as how much resistance you give them whether it's just a band or a light band or an isometric or if it's eventually um, on their feet doing a heel raise against gravity um, we can always be kind of working towards this route of a single leg heel raise um, and then eventually you start once they're capable of going through that full range of motion without assist we start taking that assist away from them they're not using their hands to help push them up all the way um, and, and we can certainly change the tempos and challenge the tempos with that as well. Um, and we can certainly add load within that too. So just because they can't go into full dorsiflexion doesn't mean that you can't be adding load again within reason during this time frame uh, through a bilateral heel raise. Um, so you can add some resistance, whether that's through um, holding onto a dumbbell, whether that's, uh, you know, putting something around the chest like a weighted vest or something of that nature to kind of add a little bit more resistance to it um, trying to make sure we change some variables and gradually progressively load somebody don't think that just because they can't go through a full dorsiflexion position uh, that they can't progressively add load um, again we have to check their tolerance to activity and you should do this through a gradual progression um, but again adding load I've added load when someone has not been able to go into full dorsiflexion to the ground um, and that is what's dictated by the protocol there uh, 
Furthermore, when the person can get to the ground, again, there's that apprehension, there's just some fear kind of going from two feet to one foot. That's kind of a big step there. So how can we kind of bridge that gap a little bit and, and again, make a gradual, steady progression of always doing something to progress them each and every week or each and every um, milestone that they hit. So what we can do is we can put their non-affected leg um, on a step and use that leg as almost like a kickstand to be able to help assist them up. Because um, it's the concentric portion that they, they struggle with, that initial uh, kind of get that oomph to get up off the ground is where they're gonna struggle. Um, certainly we can do the up with two, down with one, um, somebody is always stronger eccentrically more than they are concentrically. So again, that's a nice way of starting the single leg activity and showing that they are capable of demonstrating strength. But it's that concentric power um, that a lot of people struggle with when they start going to a single leg heel raise version. So whenever I do the up with two and down with one eccentric, what I like to include with that also is uh, a isometric uh, single leg heel raise that is um, an overcoming isometric essentially so what I'll do with this and this is the luxury of being in a gym there's certainly scenarios that you could come up with on your own depending on your clinic setup that you could make something similar to this too but I use a barbell on somebody's back uh, again they're flat on the ground and then with the J hooks there I have them trying to do a heel raise up into the J-hooks. So it's an overcoming isometric, meaning they will never actually be able to push up or go through any range of motion um, because it's, again, it's an isometric, but it's, it's right at the point where the heel is about ready to come off the ground. So if you can imagine a barbell on somebody's back and the J-hook is just above that barbell, so they're able to do a very slight heel raise into it, I'm having, and their heel is relatively basically still on the ground, uh, and what I'm having them do is stand on one leg and then as much as they're comfortable kind of gradually ramp up the pr uh, pressure into the bar doing a heel raise but nothing's actually moving again because the barbell is being stopped by those J hooks so it's an overcoming isometric in the sense that nothing will ever move but you can kind of gradually ramp up the intensity based on someone's comfort level so uh, the more and more aggressive they feel comfortably going with that isometric the more that's going to land their hand to being able to do just a single leg heel raise. Um, so again, starting with that up with two, down with one, just as many of you probably already would, but then incorporating that concentric uh, isometric, that concentric uh, activity from the bottom where you're just putting pressure. Again, there's no movement, so it technically is an isometric, but we're working on developing power in that uh, bottom position where the concentric heel raise would start. Um, so that number one, that can take away a lot of their fear or anxiety to be able to aggressively push um, and create power to be able to perform a single leg heel raise. Uh, but then two, you're also demonstrating strength and capacity to be able to do that as well. So that's a combo that I like using. Uh, and then we'll keep using that, but we'll just keep going higher and higher into plantar flexion as time goes on and as they're capable of doing that. Um, and eventually we'll do that in conjunction with uh, a whole concentric eccentric activity where you'd go through your normal tempo. Um, so that, that's just a, a consideration that I'd like to uh, include with the heel raises. Uh, again, I, you know, time frames, if we were to put a strict time frame on things, you know, everything's going to vary a little bit. If you're dealing with high level athletes who have uh, unlimited supply of, uh, you know, uh, 
they have unlimited resources at their disposal. They can work on this multiple times a day. Um, perhaps they are using some supplementation. I'm not saying it's an illegal uh, supplementation, but they potentially are putting things into their body that could help the process move along a little bit quicker from a nutrition standpoint. The general public isn't necessarily going to have all these resources, so the time frame is going to be a little bit different if you're looking at high-level athletics and general population. Um, also, just the uh, the component of how dedicated somebody is to working on this all the time. These are going to be things that changes it. Um, but you you should look for you know within the four to six month time frame at the latest because um, in that six month time frame you're you're if this is an active person we're probably trying to get back into some type of jogging um, some type of running potentially some type of cutting potentially um, again this is all dictated and a lot of other things but before you get to any type of running or jogging you should be able to do a single leg heel raise I would argue that you should be able to do you know 20 concentric eccentric single leg heel raises at a decent tempo before you get into any legitimate running. Um, and there's good research with tendinopathy issues that someone who has a tendinopathy is not able to do that, but yet they go back to running and they get they find themselves re-injured all the time. So I would take some of that research and apply it to this scenario where we, it, we this, this single leg heel raise is a big milestone just to be able to do one of them, but they need to be able to do this repetitively before we really consider some type of true running progression with somebody. Um, so that's just another consideration to take to take care of there. Um, one final note uh, that I want to make with this is that um, it, it, there, there's different speeds of contraction. The Achilles has to be able to uh, create a lot of uh, force quickly. Um, if we're looking at higher level athletics, remember that the Achilles is going to actually act a little bit more isometrically. Um, because it's more of a force transmission to the ground um, to create that uh, opposite reaction that uh, if you're pushing down into the ground to propel the body forward, that opposite reaction that happens there um, is not a huge drop that happens at the Achilles. If you look at a lot of high-level sprinters, both in the acceleration and in the um, uh, top-end speed phases, there's not this lot, this lot of movement in the heel. It's a very rigid lever that they're applying force into the ground. So, and if we consider sprinting, that's about three times the force of someone's body weight. So, the individual has to be able to isometrically hold somewhere around three times body weight with their Achilles in order to, say, have the capacity to be able to withstand high high level sprinting. So, um, you can't, you cannot shy away from load with the Achilles if we're trying to return them back to high level performance. So. Keep that in mind, and that's exactly why we need that kind of steady progression with the amount of load, with the, the range of motion, obviously within the protocol there, uh, to, to gradually keep progressing them so they don't hit plateaus and they keep progressing as far as their strength level is concerned. So, again, uh, this is Greg with Sports Rehab Expert. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we have available to you at the website, it's sportsrehabexpert.com. Uh, we got the, the Sports Rehab Expert membership with hundreds and hundreds of articles, audio interviews, all logged into that. It's an encyclopedia for rehab clinicians and strength coaches. Uh, we also got courses available for you too um, and uh, a mastermind group to kind of go over some of these one-on-one -on -one calls uh, in a mastermind setting. So uh, these are things that we have available to you to kind of keep progressing you forward as a rehab clinician. Uh, the easiest place again to get started is that free Facebook group that we have, Sports Rehab Expert Mentorship. So if you're watching this on iTunes, 
or uh, Stitcher or YouTube, be sure you check that out. Uh, if you're already on there, looking forward to communicating more with you and uh, always feel free to drop a line in the comments section below. Always going to get back with you and answer any questions that you may have and uh, look forward to future conversations, future topics that you may suggest as well too. Hey, thanks for watching. If you found yourself wondering how we can help you more, visit us at sportsrehabexpert.com where we have more free content, products, and courses that you can take to accelerate your learning, or you can just send me an email at greg at sportsrehabexpert.com. And one more thing, if you found this video helpful, please subscribe so you get notified whenever a new video comes out, and please like and share any content that you feel was helpful. Thanks.